ended up firing my obstetrician. And I love, I love <laughs> that you think of it as a hire and a fire situation because I think as a woman, as the, as the woman carrying the baby and going to be the one giving birth to the baby, you must inform yourself. You must trust your own decisions. So this is the time to start. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. I like that we all know each other somehow as it relates to birth. We are definitely bonded by birth. Yeah. Cynthia, you were my hypnobirthing instructor. I mean, unless you were like my midwife or something, which the two of you have. Which we have in common. (laughs) You guys. Clearly, we are three women who care deeply about birth and the birth experience and what that means for ourselves and for women in general and for babies. And there's so much about how birth is done in this country and in many countries, but particularly in this country that is failing women and failing babies. Yes, and I just had to explain to someone else this morning actually, who said to me something about being in the baby industry, and I said, I'm not in the baby industry, I'm in the women's industry. This is a women's issue, and therefore it affects babies, it affects women's partners, it's cultural, it's global. Well, let's talk for a second about how you got pulled into this line of work and how I got pulled into this line of work. So as of this recording, I work with um, 100 and something couples per year in preparation for childbirth. Um, Hypnobirthing is the class that I teach, um, though their work with me goes um, beyond hypnobirthing for sure. And I view my clients as who I was back when I was pregnant with my son, Alex. I knew my own industry at the time well. I was a business executive and, um, and a finance professor at UConn and had spent none of my time preparing for birth or knowing much about birth. And it was my own um, mixed emotions, gratitude, excitement, and absolute fear of giving birth that started to pull me on a little bit of a different path. And basically, I ended up firing my obstetrician. And I, love, I love that you think of it as a hire and a fire situation, because I think that that's a big difference in mindset than many women have. I think that many women go to their provider as it's provider-patient, and there's a very big um, power differential there. To see it as a hire-fire situation already just gives you so much more empowerment and I love that you fired your OB. I insist on using that language. When I'm meeting with my couples, I say to them, every time you're at a prenatal appointment, I want you to view that as a job interview. You are the hiring manager. And you're kind of patting your baby and you're saying, don't worry, I'm going to make the right decision here. I'm going to hire the right person. It's for them to do right by you. It's not for you to do right by them. It's for them to serve you. It's not for you to serve them. And the, but the, this is not how all provider-patient relationships work. There's a provider-client relationship, and then there's a provider-patient relationship. And different providers and some OBs and midwives, I, I mean, I've had this discussion with lots of professionals throughout my career, some prefer to refer to their people as clients, and some ref- prefer to refer to their people as patients. Yeah, I mean, my, I, the issue I have with patient is uh, it's a little bit twofold, but really the key one is I think it doesn't necessarily serve most birthing women to view themselves as a patient because that immediately conjures up images of us ailing, maybe an IV, a hospital bracelet around the wrist, a, a hospital gown, maybe even a wheelchair. And really, we are thriving. This is the approach. This is the assumption. There's always deviations. There's always exceptions. The assumption is always we're we're the healthiest women walking around society. A pregnant woman. And yet, yes, yes, and yet it's the number one revenue producer in hospitals. 
In this country, with all of its diabetes and cancer and heart disease, the number one revenue producer, this is only possible because we view ourselves as being so greatly in need of medical care from the onset. It's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's why is birth even in the hospital to begin with? It's the only thing that happens in a hospital that's not around illness and pathology. It's like you said, a pregnant woman in a normal, healthy pregnancy, a woman is in her prime. It's, it's an optimal time for women. And it's only, of course, been in the hospital since... Was it early 1900s that birth moved into the hospital? Well, the oh, interesting yeah. thing is the vast majority of the clients I've had, and I'm in the thousands now of clients that I've had, so I've secondhand experience to all of these births at this point. The vast majority are birthing in hospitals, and it is the right decision for those people. So about two-thirds are birthing in hospitals, and the way people can make that decision is where they feel safest. What happened with me, someone who always assumed she would birth in a hospital, but what happened with me was as I became educated, I started to have an aversion to the doctor that I was working with and the hospital policies in the hospital that I was supposed to birth at. And I remember distinctly, you know, I journaled about this at the time and I talked with people close to me and my parents and my brothers. And I remember saying so distinctly, I think to my father one day on the phone, I know what I'm running away from. I just don't know what I'm running toward. And what I ran toward was a natural birth in a birthing center. And that's what I faced my fear of giving birth. Just the woman in the woods, just my body giving birth terrified me. And I said, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into now? Now I'm birthing in a birthing center? Am I ready for this? And that's when I um, learned about hypnobirthing. And that was the method that ended up really working for me beautifully. And I had like this classic hypnobirthing birth. I woke up my husband at 5 a.m. I said, I'm not sure I'm in labor, but maybe don't go into the city today. He works in New York City. And I was holding our son uh, at 8.01 a.m. He weighed 8.14. And then four years later, um, I had my daughter, Vanessa, who weighed 9.7. And that was a planned home birth. And Trisha, of course, that's the day we met. Because you were my home birth midwife with, with the esteemed Amy Romano. Wearing so. my Yale midwives at your cervix t-shirt. Uh, I will always remember I... that. I will always remember walking into your home and just knowing this is going to be a beautiful birth. I just had that feeling when I walked in. The, the energy of the room, your energy. I didn't need to have ever have met you or anyone in your family before to just know that this was going to be just a marvelous, beautiful, peaceful birth experience yeah and And it was was. and it was and it was she was born just a few hours after you arrived so what was it about hypnobirthing that helped you become less fearful of being the woman in the woods giving birth I'm that classic um I, I never call myself type a I don't really like even thinking in terms like that really but I'm kind of a classic cerebral person left brain person a little bit type a I don't. I don't. I don't know if I view myself. I don't. Sheets. You do them for fun. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Okay. 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 Fine. I, type a. Yes, I do spreadsheets for fun. <laughs> I confess. Um, I, um, let me think about this. I'm very cerebral. I'm very left brain, and I am comforted by data and evidence. And with that said, I've been practicing yoga since I was a young woman. I take well to meditation and. Therefore, hypnobirthing kind of satisfied all of that because there is so much, well, I went beyond my hypnobirthing education as well to just learn more, to get the data underlying what makes the safest birth. And the data supporting our safest births, evidence-based data, which is what we will be providing on this podcast, is what makes a woman also her most comfortable and more relaxed in labor. So all of this suited me and my husband very well. And he's, he's and, you know, he's studied um, the sciences. He studied astrophysics and works in business and technology. And he took just as readily to all of it because it makes so much sense um, in the data sense. But learning how to just be in a place of trust, the key emotion for childbirth is trust. And it's no coincidence. It's the key emotion for sex to work optimally. It's the same body parts. It's the same hormones we're experiencing, oxytocin. And for sex to work optimally, 
It's not love that we must feel. It's trust that we must feel. But who thinks of childbirth in terms of having the birthing mother feeling trust? Not enough providers. That's what and you enough, must have and, a lot to say about that as a And not enough midwife. women. And not and, enough women. I mean, that's what I see my job as a midwife is to help instill that trust in women. So that, that is a big reason that I became a midwife. I never really wanted to be an obstetrician. I, I had an aversion to the idea of medical school. I wasn't interested in really learning pathology, but I was deeply passionate about what the, about helping women understand birth and supporting the natural process of birth. And everything I saw around me in my own um, limited experience of birth was more of this medical environment and a, a disempowered woman and a woman who trusted the medical system more than herself. And I innately just trusted my body and my ability to give birth. And I needed to really understand um, as much as I could about why people didn't so that I could really help support why you should. And that's why I went to midwifery school. I believed in the normal, healthy birthing process, and I just wanted to help my own self and other women learn how to trust themselves in that way. I mean, this is how we have existed for all of these years is in trusting the birthing process. And it's only been a hundred plus years that we've taken birth out of that trusting place, inherently just trusting the process and started to, you know, break it down and, and critique it and pathologize it. Is that a word? <laughs> it is now. No. <laughs> um, so I think what's happened over time is that um, the message to women has been that birth is not a safe process that you can inherently trust. It's a process that needs to be highly watched over, managed. It's a, it's a high-risk situation. And if you aren't really carefully managing it, you're, you're um, putting yourself and your baby at risk. Well, you're a bad mom. Yeah, or, or you're, you're, you're um, just to inherently trust yourself and the birthing process means maybe that you're neglecting the safety of your baby. I don't even think the women are thinking that much about themselves. They're thinking all the pressure is on healthy baby, So the, healthy baby. That's the irony here is that we now have the number one maternal mortality rate in the entire industrialized world. And um, the irony is it's unnecessary medical intervention that's pointing to these poor statistics. So we want medical intervention nearby. We want that medical provider nearby. We want the opportunity to have a C-section available to all of us when we're giving birth. What we don't want is for someone to go into this process, meaning the provider to go into this process, under the assumption that they have to make the birth happen, that they have to get the baby out. I talk about this all the time. Try to keep the baby in. How about that? Try to keep that baby in. Try to live the rest of your life without that baby Not going to happen. Not going to happen. The baby is going to come out. Now, we want this to happen in the safest way. Mm -hmm. So that's why we want the, the medical providers there. Because cesarean sections are an absolute... You want, you want a trusted birth professional there. You want somebody who understands the birthing process and has a wide circle of safety, so, which means that yeah. they have a, enough experience to know that that variation of normal is still normal right. as opposed to this very narrow circle of safety which says you just extended your second stage pushing by 10 minutes therefore we have to move on to c-section because now you are outside the range of what i deem normal and we need to intervene a wide circle of safety says the opposite okay i, I once had a woman push for 18 hours wow oh and she gosh. birthed a beautiful Wow. I'll be at Conehead, but beautiful, <laughs> right. baby, healthy, fine. Now, that was definitely pushing the limits of, you know, my everybody circle probably. of <laughs> safety. But there were no indications in this labor that there was anything going wrong. The, mo the mother was fine. All of her vital signs were fine. The baby's heartbeat was fine. The baby was never under any stress. And she did it, and that is normal. So a breech baby is another variation of normal, but we've stopped looking at it that way. 
we're going to have as one of our upcoming birth stories the tale of one of my clients who had a vaginal breech birth but this is so rare and we'll see what she had to go through in order to achieve that yet when my mother was born she'll tell you supposedly the story goes when she was coming out the doctor said up oh, and this one's coming out backwards all right well where are we today okay right? so what do we do so what i love we? what you said this circle of normal did you call it circle of safety this circle, circle of, of safety now it's very limited and now we go so far as to say the birth has to happen at a certain rate. And this is dangerous. This is statistically harmful to the mom and baby. It causes more harm than good. It causes harm. It's that very narrow circle of what they deem safe. And now we're just we're just talking about babies right here. We still haven't even touched on what it does, the risk to the mother and how the this country in particular is slipping in maternal morbidity and maternal mortality rates. So failure to progress is the number one reason for cesarean section in the United States. And if we can address that issue alone, we will improve our statistics because that is not a, legit, a legitimate medical indication at all. A birth that is quick is just as safe as a birth that is lengthy. They're both equally safe. There's no correlation between the outcome of those births and the duration of the labor. So that alone is a topic we'll definitely be getting into. With respect to women birthing in hospitals, that's so complicated as well because there is birth from nature's perspective, going into the woods and just it's you as this organism connected to your baby and you are giving birth. And then there's birth from our cultural perspective. For example, where I was when I was first pregnant with my son was that I firmly believed I would feel safer and be safer in a hospital. And little did I know I would change my opinion about that in the course of my pregnancy. But even though I'm supporting um, a majority of couples who birth in a hospital, that is often the right choice for them. Some of them do come out of it and say they won't do it the next time, but many say it is the right choice. And how well, do you part, know? Part of that is the is a result of having very limited choices too. I mean, That's how true. many babies are born at home? I think the percentage is less than. It might even be less than 1%. I think it was around right? 1% about a decade ago, and I think it's climbing. Slowly. So we have Very this slowly. divergence. One and a half now. Okay. We have this divergence that so. birth is becoming more medicalized, and there's a population that's getting more natural. But what I was going to say is if you, as the birthing mother, walk into a hospital and relax and say, oh, I'm here now. I'm safe here, then you're birthing in the right place. And if you walk in and stiffen and say, oh, yeah hospitals why are you birthing in a hospital because everyone is taking this business very seriously from home birth midwives to birthing center midwives how I, I, how many women do you think really truly walk into a hospital and get that sense of relaxation and safety I, I guarantee instinctually when she walks through those doors that the the air in a hospital it's so cold there What's cold? It's yes. cold. Ever practical? Yes. Cold. I think I think where Trisha is going is on an emotional ener- level. Energetically, we've been birthing right? for we've been birthing for millennia, not in an unnatural environment. In it, a natural, we don't we don't travel anywhere when we're in labor over, through through history, right? We don't travel. We don't stop time and go. put on a seatbelt and go someplace. And that you, I think is what you're saying. It just on like a cellular level, this is unnatural to be birthing around strangers or amid bright lights. That's what you were saying, right? Yeah, in, 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 in an institution that is 99% about illness and not health. Well, it's an institution we identify and associate with illness. I think that's where it's harmful. Even if it is a safe place to give birth, we what does it do to us psychologically and right. emotionally? And this right. is so important, and it, it is and so frustrating it doesn't get talked about. Well, it's frustrating that it doesn't get talked about, and it's also that it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And a lot of places are, hospitals and institutions are absolutely taking steps to change that. Birth centers that are popping up within hospitals are, That's right. are one example of that. But we are still so far from making um, the birth environment truly feel like a place of inherent trust where a woman can walk in and she feels from every corner of the space from every person in that space that you you got this you are made to do this your body is made to do this and we are here to watch and monitor and protect you but we're not here to manage and intervene 
and potentially cause more harm than good, which is what we know is happening all the time. Right. The most important birthing organ is what? I mean, I I want everyone just to think about that for a second. The most important birthing organ. What are you going to say, Zoo? Brain. Oh, yay. Yay. (laughs) How did I know this? Ding, ding. After all these years, you remember. (laughs) A truly good student. The brain is the most important birthing organ. And what that means is how is she feeling? Because if she doesn't feel trust, her cervix closes. It which closes is exactly, and the blood rushes away from the cervix and the uterus. Exactly what we are biologically designed to do so that if we're giving birth exactly. in a dangerous, harmful environment, our labor stops. Which is so great. It's right? Nature is so perfect. We just nature have to knows. appreciate how to work with it. Right. But if so much as the receptionist at the hospital is rude to us, see, we're at a really strange point in evolution right now. We have this fight or flight response, and now they're saying it's fight or flight or freeze, but either way, we're at this weird point in evolution now because of how rapidly society impacted our living and our bodies haven't really caught up that if we so much as spill mustard on our shirt, we go into fight or flight mode. We react as though a predator just showed up. So it would be nice if we could still give birth, having that component of us that turns off labor if we are truly in a life-threatening situation. If, God forbid, the building has a fire and we have to leave the building or if something really harmful is at hand. If we're outdoors and there is a predator, this is how all the human babies didn't get eaten by lions through the years because one single fearful thought in the mother turns off labor. But look at where we are now. Now if the woman feels humiliated, embarrassed, stressed, um, afraid, that shuts down labor and you know that feeling that you have like I hope I don't get that OB oh please not that one I hope I get it I always say don't you think you deserve better I mean if you are birthing in a part of this country where we have options why are you settling right this isn't a game of Russian roulette where you're praying for one provider over another one you deserve to feel and this is what I was going to say earlier you want to be able to relinquish wherever you're giving birth you want to be able to relinquish And trust. And trust. And fall into that place of trusting yourself. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com and use promo code down to birth. Zoo, let's talk about you for a little bit. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're, as far as the podcast goes, you're a technical producer and many other things. That's, that's right. That's the hat you're wearing. <laughs> but um, but we're all super close friends in reality and you and you and I have been really the best of friends for years, including our husbands and our families. And it's all because you took my hypnobirthing class. I did. And your bold husband, um, had the audacity to invite me and my husband out to dinner. <laughs> oh my gosh! And I was like blending into the house, like, "What are you doing, really? What are we doing?" Now I'm we the had, introvert here. We had, we had the you best time. You are the introvert. Yes. Zoo, the introvert. <laughs> you know, you're joking. <laughs> she fakes it well, though. <laughs> but yes, uh, she does. So yeah, you took hypnobirthing, and that's when I met you guys. Um, so many years ago. God, oh I mean, I've been gosh. I've been teaching since two thousand seven. You must have taken the class in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Okay, it had to be. So it had to be. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. Giant kids now. So here's what I remember. So first of all, um, what I remember was asking everyone to think: how, how often is a woman asked this question? What do you want for your birth? Almost never. Almost now, never. Now, if I were a provider, I would love to ask women that question because because we don't ask, 
Um, I think it, it almost has what, what and it, you make, it makes you think in a very it's a different mindset what would you like for your birth and it's like no 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 you want the health healthy safe right. baby like just you know, all those things so the assumption is that we don't have any control over what's going to happen that's why I think no one considers this question because I think so frequently the message to that woman is well we'll have to see how it goes we'll just see how it goes no we're not going to see how it goes this is like a pie chart where you have a little sliver in the pie chart, and when women get pregnant, they assume the vast majority of that pie chart, that 90 95%, is totally out of their control, and they can control the little sliver. But the reality is you can control most of that pie chart. You can control who you hire. You can control where you're going to give birth, what position you're going to be in, whether you're going to eat or drink or nourish yourself or who's going to be in the room with you. But what you can't control, sure. Um, the position of your baby you can influence so that's kind of straddling both parts of the pie chart but when you'll go into labor you can't control some things so that was what was going on for you when I asked that question yeah no one has asked you this before is what you were thinking not really no okay it's do you remember what your husband <laughs> no do you remember what your husband said when I asked that question okay so I asked all the couples what do you want for your birth and when and I said women please answer this question no matter what it takes sit quietly for a minute and articulate. And the reason I did that is coming from something we all know from yoga. It's called intention. When you go into anything with intention, you're significantly more likely to achieve that outcome. So it's actually, I believe, a very important practice in anything so important as giving birth. So what do you want for your birth? And for some women, it's how they want to feel. I just want to feel safe. Or for some women, it's I want a natural birth because I'm planning on birthing in a birthing center. So my whole mindset is around a natural birth. And for some women, they're saying, I don't really care if it's natural. I just, I want to feel like I'm the one making the decisions, even if it's a C-section, even if I get an epidural or any kind of intervention, I want to feel like I'm a key player. But in your case, your husband answered the question first. (laughs) God bless him. He said, he raised his hand and he said, I want Zoo to have an orgasmic birth. Oh my goodness! And to this to this day, and yeah. did of, you? And did you? Out of <laughs> no, but I also of, wasn't expecting that. So, right, your response wow. was so right. great. Your response was even better than his. When it, then you spoke after Eric after we all laughed a little, and you said, "My expectations are somewhat lower. I just want to feel comfortable," <laughs> which was great. It was a, it was so rare in a birth companion and in a partner to have that attitude. It was it was really wonderful. Yeah, he's quite, most it's actually guys and quite partners, loving. It's really loving. Oh, yes, he wants the best for me. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> but the highest the, achiever right yes. there. He watched the movie. He's like, I, I know what I he, want for my wife. He's like, if that's possible, we're doing it. So the most common response that I've gotten over the years from partners, you can guess what it is, can't you, Trisha? What do you think most partners say to that? What do you want for the birth? A healthy baby. A healthy, a healthy baby mom. and a healthy mom. That's it. Yeah. So they're... Of course, that's what we all want. Absolutely. You'd think that highest it doesn't priority. have to be said. It's everyone's it's highest yes. priority. To say that that's all that matters. Right. Like, I, I think that's where people fall into the trap. When people are planning to run the marathon, a marathon, they don't go into it praying that they're going to survive it. But every year people... Some do. <laughs> well, Sorry. fine. That's true. <laughs> Okay, new new example. (laughs) No, no, no. Nope. No, this is the example. Because every year there are people who don't survive it or they collapse. And there are ambulances there every time in case something goes wrong. And dehydration is a big risk. And consuming sustenance, right? Um, Never mind injury. But who thinks about that? I've had, I don't know how many friends run marathons and do triathlons, and they're treated like the rock stars that they are. But that's a far less natural thing to do than giving birth. So yes, there's always risk in any of these pursuits. So how is it that we all start off terrified? And how does that affect our decisions? How does it affect the decisions we're making around our birth? Well, why are we all starting off terrified? It's cultural. In fact, remember you said you made that choice to be a midwife instead of a doctor? You reminded me of a little anecdote that came up this year with one of my couples. They shared with me that 
they both went to a prenatal visit together. And the woman's husband said to the female obstetricians, he was just trying to get to know her better. He was being smart. He was looking casual, but he was being really intelligent about the whole approach, just getting to know the doctor. And in that casual conversation, he said to her, so what made you want to become an obstetrician? And she looked up wistfully and said, I've always wanted to do surgery. Right to their face, right to their face. This couple who they knew were planning a natural birth and And asking all their questions. She meant it. She didn't even see anything ironic about it. She meant it. And that is the institution of obstetrics and medicine versus midwifery and why I went the other route. Now, I have to throw this caveat out there, and I throw it out there no matter what. I have heard the story on occasion of the obstetrician who just sat and held the hand of the birthing mother and didn't leave her when their shift ended and stroked her hair and just sat by her and supported her. And I've heard the occasional story of a midwife who intervened unnecessarily and left that woman feeling betrayed the way we typically only associate with obstetricians so you're never your work is never done no and 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 when you're interviewing these people I think it's it's not just the occasion there are plenty of midwives who practice more um, medically and there are plenty of OBs who practice more naturally it's it's not really about it's not binary versus midwife it's about how they're trained and how they're educated and the philosophy of birth that they're coming the perspective and the philosophy that they're coming at the practice with. So by nature, because obstetrics are about surgery and they are, um, obstetricians are trained in a medical system, they're going to be more focused on pathology. And thank God that we have that. We right. need that. That's right. We have to have people who know how to intervene mm-hmm. and who know how to cut and sew and do all the things that obstetricians are really good at. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they don't get the other side of the education. They don't get trained in the the normal process of birth, the healthy, normal, low-risk women. But they take care of them. But they're not trained in that way. Whereas midwives are not trained to do surgery and they're not trained to practice a high-risk level of medicine. They're trained to care for the low-risk, normal, healthy woman. And that's what they're best. That's what they're best at. And they shouldn't be doing surgery, although midwives have are trained to assist in cesarean section. And that's fabulous because they get to maintain that continuity of care with, with their patient or their client. But we each need to focus on, you know, the areas that we're really good at. And I think the problem is that um, maybe women might want to be supported in that normal healthy way if they're low risk but they're they're they have hired a provider who doesn't really have the training or the skills or the practice to totally support that they they just come from a different perspective the best way to go through this is to ask yourself or to talk with your provider enough to determine that they have the same outcome an intention that you do for your birth. So if you say, I'm looking to have a vaginal birth or to increase my likelihood of having a really comfortable natural birth or to have, or just own it and have a natural birth, if the provider, whoever they may be, if they respond with, well, we'll have to see how it goes, that's a red flag. It should be, we have. I have the same intention for you and I'm here in case we need to intervene. In case... This needs to deviate from the birth you're planning. But not like, well, we'll just have to see. And that comes from when the ACOG was established. They actually made a decision to pursue active management of labor techniques as opposed to expectant labor. Yes. yes. And that's why it's all about getting the baby out, right. intervening. In a certain time frame and certain criteria have to be met or certain interventions are Is that the put same time where women were giving birth basically unconscious? On that the, was around the forties and fifties. They later they practically clubbed them over the head and <laughs> it's 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 it so extreme. upsetting. Active right. management. If you, yeah. They're yeah. like, well, knock they, them out and yeah. we'll manage it from start to finish. And it's, it's not going to hurt. all under our control. Right. That was how, uh, that's how it was sold to women, correct? Mm-hmm. That it, it's like, oh, you will sleep through the pain. 
you you don't have to experience it basically you just you're going to close your That's eyes right. and you're going to wake up and your baby will be here oh and they were really having vaginal births almost entirely but it was like the cesarean rate was like three or four percent back then so you wonder what they did what happened you know they were using forceps and cutting um episiotomies so frequently birth it's this is what we're talking about it is so cultural it is so determined by culture and you though most people don't hear any hint of an accent but English incredibly is your third language oh well so you <laughs> grew up with Czech and a Czech parent and a German parent and you were influenced yes. by another culture to begin with um, but you say it wasn't so like I know Germany and Eng I know they're more natural in a lot of the Western European countries but for you it wasn't right how was childbirth for you in your mindset growing up uh, it was something that only happens in a hospital okay and it Episiotomies were even as a little girl. I remember my mom explaining to me your birth. We're like, and that's when the then the doctor cuts you, and just that's done so you don't tear. And I really, really believe that it was just like it this makes mantra. Sense, right? Everyone it makes sense if you very, hear it that way presented. It, it that was way. really from very early, you know, age. My mom would educate me about things, and that was one of the things. Was like, yep, and then they give you a cut, and that helps you not tear, and it <laughs> heals so much better. Because it's a straight line, and you, it just all the it's reasoning. Believable. Oh, yeah. It is totally believable. But at the same time, my mom would tell me like these little gruesome true. stories of, uh, you know, from her hospital visit after, where you, you had to stay in the hospital for a while. Uh, but that was this medicine in those days. I don't know. So where does that leave you? So you're in the United States. You're married and you're pregnant, and you wanted a more, um, you wanted a different experience from all of that. Right. As in my 20s, before I got pregnant, I had uh, friendships. I was I was, fr I was friends with um, a couple of women who gave birth at home, and it was quite eye-opening. I, I mean, I, I didn't witness it. I wasn't there for it. I just talked to them, and it opened my eyes. Like, wait, we can do that? Like, I didn't, I didn't know that. At the same time, like, it was just like, yes, we can do this. It's amazing because I'm scared of needles. I'm scared of hospitals. All these things were falling into place, and I can just wait a minute. I can say no to a doctor. That is amazing. Like that, the fact that I, I am deciding things for my own body, and it, yeah, it's kind of sad that I was like in my mid twenties when I had all these realizations. I feel that's kind of late. You know, mm, I don't I feel don't it's think, late I'm, at all. Yeah, I don't think that it's well. A lot of women never have those realizations it's just like, at all. Wait a second, we uh, as as you said before, uh, with you know, you have to look at doctors as hire or fire kind of situation. That was that was the fact that that realization when I had that, that was amazing. Just like wait, informed consent. I can say no to all these things. Doctors are not gods. They're wonderful helpers. They're you know they have all this knowledge. They can save people all these things cut into things wonderful sew them back up <laughs> but they're not gods they don't know a lot of things and they don't know what's best for you until something goes wrong something right. goes awry then they do then that is the place to step in and say this is not right this is what we have to do this is where you know i have it to step of, in and manage right. it it goes back to the um to the sentiment of like doctors are great in emergencies but not just like for regular care. It's like, eh, <laughs> ask around. Well, another thing we'll be getting into plenty is that the number two reason for cesarean section in this country is fetal distress. Um, and the first one being failure to progress. We have a lot to say about that. To me, that is just a non-issue because there's no medical indication associated with that one. But fetal distress is a real thing. It can be called when there isn't actually, um, when it doesn't really qualify as fetal distress, which is very confusing to the, to, the, to the woman and to the couple. But what's frustrating for any informed person to understand and what's important for women to understand is many of the very hospital policies we're still implementing today cause fetal distress. Having a woman give birth in the supine position on her back can cause fetal distress. Epidurals. D epidurals, of course. T depriving a woman of food, but Any that's that not a But I mean, I mean, wait, I mean, hospital policy. Right. If they oh. say she can't eat or drink, which of course she can, and we have a lot to say about that. That was a deal breaker okay. for me. Okay, okay. But that also causes a prolonged labor, 
and B, fetal distress, the very two things that drive up cesarean section rates. Um, so many of these policies are causing fetal distress, unbeknownst to the client, unbeknownst to the to the family, or definitely contributing to it. And they well, they drive up the likelihood yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. And there are so many others um, that we'll be getting into. But I think one thing that comes up a lot for people as well is, well, aren't doctors so concerned about litigation? And I find that to be a very manipulative argument. In fact, my own doctor, when she rattled off all the reasons she gave C-sections before I fired her, you know, she said, I don't like if the mother's too young or too old or too thin or too heavy or if the baby comes too early or too late or the baby measures too small or too large. She listed off 12 of these things right in front of me. Um, she added on at the end, and I'll be honest, litigation plays a big role. And I feel like that is manipulating us to infer that a cesarean is the safer means of delivery. And it is not. According to statistics from the World Health Organization, the mother has a 300% rate of an adverse, out, a higher rate of an adverse outcome than, mm -hmm. than over a vaginal birth. Um, and for the baby, it's fourfold to tenfold. It's 400% to 1,000% the likelihood of an adverse outcome. So when they say, well, let's in not... unnecessary cesarean. Exactly. In, in a cesarean in general, but we're talking about All unnecessary cesareans putting babies and mothers at risk that they weren't otherwise at. And this is what makes our work so difficult. And I don't mean our work as educators. I mean our, our advocates. A woman's work is difficult because we don't want to rule out cesarean sections because they are such a blessing when they're needed. We want to rule out unnecessarians. Right. And oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a great thing. term. I didn't know that's a so thing. So this is why our work is difficult, because we don't just say no to it. We have to keep open that possibility. So wouldn't we it be need it? We have to have that possibility there at every birth. Yes. But how do we now know if we need it? And how do we not overuse it? Because clearly we are way overusing it with a some hospitals having a 50% cesarean no. rate. No. I was yeah. in my head yeah, just sitting absolutely. here, and I was thinking, I was like, okay, so it's more than 30, so is it up to 35? The, it's 50? It, no, that's not the national average, oh, but some hospitals, some hospitals have a 50%. The hospital that I left when I was pregnant with Alex, that uh, an insider told me three years ago that it was 52%. Now, <gasps> we know I wasn't as a species, surprised. there is no chance in hell we would be here today if 50% of babies needed to be born surgically. And look at all the other mammals giving birth all the time. Oh, except for um, the English bulldogs. I think they oh. have a giant C-section rate. <laughs> How do you know that? That is so classic zoo. <laughs> that is so classic where no, we're all just like, true what? story. It's Yeah, here, watch. Go ahead, zoo. I know what you're going to say. They, Go ahead. Like 80%. Like, no, forget it. Almost because all of, of them, head, they're like... Their head size. They're functionally extinct. Yeah. 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 They have well, to be born by C-sections. Okay, they on. are the biggest moneymaker for vets. And now we're going to get all the angry emails <laughs> from vets. Hang on a second. I have to finish that point. Sorry. It, evolution didn't make them that way. Oh, no. So yes, it, no. That, that argument right. is null. Uh, out with me. <laughs> <laughs> also, just to jump in, how each of us gave birth is not how we were planning on giving birth, right? Not most of us. We didn't come in to our birth experiences with a plan. We were sort of diverted in our birth experience because of um, things that we learned through our pregnancy and choices that we ended up making as a result of experiences and learning during our pregnancies. Yeah. So this podcast is about helping women have access to that information so that they may make the best choice for them, the best choice of provider, the best choice of place of birth, and have ultimately a birth that is not only safe for the mom and baby, but is also a birth that they feel at peace with, that they feel happy about, that they feel that they chose. There are even ways to have a planned, scheduled cesarean in a safer and more positive way than the default. 100%. So we can always make childbirth a better experience for the mom and a safer experience for the mother and baby. And that's why we do what we do. So my son was born in a birthing center and the idea of having a home birth was unthinkable to me until four years later when we had our daughter. And by then I had taught hundreds of couples and seen many of them have home births. And I opened my mind to it a little bit and it was enough. You never planned on a home birth until your 
you were in midwifery school and your midwife told basically told you that's what you were going to do and you said Pretty okay much. Okay. I was young I was in school I didn't have a lot of options I had never thought about home birth I didn't know anyone who had a home birth and I I was like many people of the mindset that home birth was something you did if you had no other access to care or you were sort of on the extreme end of you know really anti-medicine or something like that um but I ended up having a home birth, three home births, and I ended up becoming a home birth midwife after sort of falling by default into having my first child at home because I was didn't have a lot of other options at that time simply based on insurance. It was insurance, and I was influenced by my professor, who was a home birth midwife, who took me under her wing and said, this is how you're going to do it. Like, you can do this. This is how you're going to do it. Um, it also ended up being an awesome learning opportunity for all my student fellow midwives. <laughs> oh, <very laughs> I see. Did you invite them? Four of my friends were there to assist. Um, wow. So it was a great experience for them. You were the guinea pig. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But um, it ended up being the most amazing birth experience. And I ended up, my sister ended up having a home birth. And my sister is the last person on earth I would ever expect to have a home birth. She's, she's, she's definitely. The one um, who's an actor? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And I definitely would have expected her to want, you know, the top OB with the highest credentials mm -hmm. and, you know, <clears throat> giving birth in the best hospital. And um, after my experience, she ended up having a home mm -hmm. birth too. Sure. And then. I had two more home births, and then I ended up practicing as a home birth midwife. So it it just became the right choice for me after I had um, the experience with it that I had. But it's not, it is by no means the only way to have a safe, satisfying, natural birth. There are many ways to have a safe, satisfying, natural birth in a hospital, in a birth center, or at home. You can also have a safe and satisfying birth that isn't natural. That's right. Uh, and that's, that, and yes. now this, yes. and that's also frequently the case. So, Zoo, that, that does just uh, that does take that in order to have a safe, satisfying, non natural birth, you do need to educate yourself so that you are sure that you are making the choices for yourself and these things aren't forced upon you. Because a lot of the times, cesarean births and medicated births are not by choice. And that, I think, is where women end up feeling dissatisfied. Right. She yeah. is directing what she wants and needs during that birth, shy of any medical indication. And as soon as there is one, they have our attention. We want to hear what our options are. No one wants to take risks here and chances here, the mother least of all. So yeah. your first birth was um, a hospital yeah. with epidural, but right? Unlike you guys, I actually started off with, I'm going to have a home birth. And I prepared and I had a home home birth midwife. And it was, and I took your class. I felt like I am ready for this. This is great. I had all the plastic sheets that I needed. <laughs> we were ready for this. All the goods. All the goods and everything. The and then kit. Yes. And then the labor started and it just didn't end. It just was forever, and I, I cannot remember exactly how many hours it was, um, but I just I just gave up after, let's say 20, I'm not really sure, of not really, you know, getting anywhere, and I was exhausted. You were exhausted, yes. I was exhausted. I was just, I couldn't sleep. I, um, it was, that is it was very hard. That so, is the most common indication for so, women being transferred right. to the hospital and so home. then I... I talked to my midwife. We exhausted all the natural um, options, and I made the decision. I was like, "I, I want, I want like outside help now. I'm ready." Totally. And my midwife, you know, the the team, they were like, "Yep, let's go." And they took me. Actually, my husband drove me, of course. Um, yeah, we just got a non-emergency transfer uh, to the nearest hospital, and um, I was very okay at that point with with an epidural and it was wonderful it was really really that's what I needed in that moment and I was just like yes that's this is good this is this is gonna work out and I finally slept for like three hours or so and then then your body was ready to then I was ready job. to push mm -hmm. and it was all like it just it worked out beautifully 
And everyone was wonderful. Everyone was respectful. Um, yeah, it was a good birth. I mean, it was, you know, I I think I was sad that, that I had this idealized version of like, you know, it's going to be at home and da, da, da. But it, as as long as I called the shots and I knew the baby is not in danger. So it was kind of easy to call the shots. <laughs> um, yeah. So then your second birth three years later. And the second birth, I, I planned uh, a freestanding birthing center. And that one was so much faster. <laughs> the second babies, man, they just know what they're doing. <laughs> that is totally Well, my true. second yes. one was slower. Three hours. Oh. Ver- <laughs> but, but three hours versus five and a half. For total, well, my total labor duration for Alex was three hours from the moment I woke up my husband and said, I don't think I'm in labor, but. You totally and then are. Vanessa, I called Amy and said, I don't know if I'm in labor. I hate for you to come to my house if this is going to be a waste of your time. And she said, don't worry, I'll come and we'll see. And then I had Vanessa five and a half hours after that. So both were exceptionally short. You are but a fast But my birther. second one was like 60% oh, no. longer than the first That's one. It was significantly unusual. long. Yes, yes yeah. that is unusual. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, my second birth was in a freestanding birthing center in the bathtub, much faster. It It was, I loved how it was like, it, in the middle, it was not a home birth, and it was not a hospital. It was in the middle, and I was very happy with that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I am just that straddling always, both worlds. It seems like the perfect solution yes. all the time. It's I just, wish it's these places, yeah, freestanding birth centers. I think it's financially just it's it's a tough right. it's a tough model to make. This work, but particular it, one is across from a major hospital, so that was a whole nother like you it's know perfect. I am doing this. That's a perfect arrangement. Yes, it it just and it worked out beautifully. And just to clarify what you're saying about finances, you don't mean it's difficult financially for the couple because they do tend to take insurance, but you mean the model of the birth the model, center itself. Exactly. Yes. yes. The, the model of the birth model. center is hard to, yes. is hard they to make They charge so much less than, yes. they make so much less revenue mm-hmm. than a hospital. But they have this facility that they have to maintain. It's, yes. a, it's, a, it's a tough model, but yeah. it is the ideal mm-hmm. No, it's wonderful. Model it was wonderful for care. For so many people. For, yeah. Very for intimate. Sure. I, I think a lot of women who... Um, have hospital workers would probably choose a freestanding birth center if it were more available. Yeah, the ho- decor, everything kind of looks like a hotel room. It's like mm-hmm. it's it looks just like a B and B. Right. Would say. Well, mm-hmm. look, your grandma's B and B. We were joking that it's no. like going to grandma's. No. <laughs> well, some do, some do, some don't. I would <laughs> say, I would say, I would say it looks like a. Like a New England B and B, just like yeah. that kind of the big wooden armoire and the, yes. the floral oh, bedspread, rustic. Yes, yeah, the yeah. floral bedspread. Yes. Um, so, I think the key reason this work has to be done by us and others is we need to eradicate this notion of all that matters is a healthy mom and baby. In fact, Trisha, I almost forgot that's what prompted this whole discussion. So Trisha co-moderates the Life After Birth postpartum support group that I run at Hypnobirthing of Connecticut. And she's been working with me there for quite a while now. And after the postpartum group let out a few months ago, it went from 10 a.m. till noon. And at noon, the women all, the class kind of ends, but the women all hang out and talking and feeding their babies and mingling. And they love to visit with each other even after it's over. So Trisha and I walked into the back room at my business and we were just talking and my phone rang and it was one of my clients who had finished hypnobirthing class a few months earlier and she was very very emotionally um distressed i put her on speakerphone i said i said trisha ludwig is here so she just said hey i came for a checkup and everything was fine they did a non-stress test you know one of those unnecessary non-stress tests really and everything came out fine, and but she said during that visit they were trying to pressure her into being induced right then and there, and she and her husband felt completely betrayed. This was with um, a midwifery practice, and they felt betrayed. They said this is nothing at all like we've talked about and planned all this time, and someone at that visit, either the midwife or an obstetrician who checked in on them, made this comment and said, look, you, for all we know, you could go home and in two hours find there's no heartbeat. And this, what do you do with that? A perfectly healthy, low-risk woman in every way, simply at a prenatal. And they throw that comment out there. And, you know, that's enough to haunt anyone. Oh, my gosh. And and then she said the words. 
while she was crying on the phone with us, she said, I mean, all, I know that all that matters is a healthy mom and baby, but I really wasn't, I really wasn't feeling ready for this. And it's just, you want to stop right there and say, no, that is not all that matters. It's the most important thing that matters to every one of us. We all agree on that. Every single player in this agrees you on that. You cannot argue that point. No. Wait, no one would. But it is not the only thing. Right. The most important thing. It is the, the highest only thing priority. That matters. But there are other things that matter. Oh, it's not the only thing that matters. And how she felt. And right there, she felt betrayed. She felt confused, overwhelmed. Her husband was texting me at the same time that she was trying to call us. They were both frantic, of course, understandably, because they didn't know what to do. So I'd like to contrast that with another story that just happened. I had a lovely couple take the class a couple months ago. I think the mom is 42, early 40s. They have a daughter already who's about six or seven years old. They're from New York. They trekked up to Westport um, to take the class. And they, you know, they were getting educated and feeling increasingly uncomfortable week after week with their obstetrician. And she finally came to me and said, she was just so, she was so upset. She was so stressed and said, they're treating me like this. They're calling me high risk. I know I don't want that test and they're pushing it on me. I don't even want to get another ultrasound and they're pushing that on me. And I said, I can put you in touch with my friend and mentor, Nancy Weiner, who's a very famous author and home birth midwife in the Boston area. And I said, just be forewarned, if you go meet with Nancy, she'll evaluate you. And she will definitely try to talk you into home birth because she is very uh, pro-home birth and very anti-birthing anywhere else. So if you're prepared for that and you want to go get her expert opinion, go for it. But just be prepared. She's going to rock your world a little bit. They did go up and visit her. They all fell in love with each other. And that mother, she coasted into the room the next week for class. All the other couples saw her. She looked like a woman looks when she's in love. She was beaming. She was smiling. She said, we're so happy. I'm going to birth with Nancy. We're going up to Boston to have our baby with Nancy. Oh, Cynthia, I can't believe it. She just, she couldn't, she couldn't take the smile off her Mm. face. And I had everyone look at her. I said, look at her. Look at that. That's how you all deserve to feel. Look at her. She's she glowing. Felt, because she, she was felt supported. She was glowing. And you know what? She just had her baby. Mm. And they just sent me pictures. Nancy texted me, did you hear from her yet? Then she texted me photos, and there they are in Nancy's guest bedroom holding, holding her baby. Her older daughter is there. It's beautiful. So well, let's talk about the contrast. One is instilling fear, and one is instilling trust. Yeah. I mean, it's just that simple. And these yeah. were the, f- the first woman was told to fear her body and fear the process and therefore take the intervention of fear that you will be you know, if you don't ha- you'll have a bad outcome and the other was right. trust your body trust yourself trust the outcome and the first woman was low risk in every way I don't really buy into the the maternal age thing much at all. I have a whole lot that I feel and want to say about that at some point. But the second woman would be considered by almost anyone's standards high risk just by virtue of her age. And she's the one who had that simple, beautiful, very joyful birth with Nancy. So quality of care. And these are both midwives. So it's if you do want a more natural birth, and um, a lot of people aren't looking for that, they just want to feel informed. But if you do want a more natural birth, it's not a binary decision. It's not so easy to say, I'll just simply hire a midwife. Go ahead and hire a midwife, but your work is beginning there. It's not ending there. I think the point in all of this is that the provider is important, and it is important that you feel safe and respected by your provider. But most importantly, the as a woman, as the, as the, as the woman carrying the baby and going to be the one giving birth to the baby, you must inform yourself. You must trust your own decisions. And in order to trust our own decisions, we have to have knowledge. Because you deserve a birth, at least a birth story you feel at peace with. And you can have a cesarean section. You can have an epidural and all the interventions, knowing when they're needed, feeling deeply at peace with how that went. So a natural birth is not better than um, a birth with intervention, but how the mother feels in that realm of a safe birth and a safe outcome is what matters most. And in, just to add to that, it, it matters not just because you want to carry forth in life with a birth 
story that you feel good about and that you want to share. It matters also because this is the beginning of you as a mom. This is the beginning of motherhood. And having that faith and trust in yourself through feeling that you that you um, trusted the birth process and you made your own choices and you feel safe you feel satisfied and at peace with that experience i think launches you into motherhood with um, a trust in your ability to take care of your baby and be an amazing mom is so it's so important for the beginning of this journey i would say it is almost a requirement though i would i would almost go that far because you're about to become the adult in your life For a lot of us, we don't see ourselves as the adult in our lives until we become parents. So we could be 35 years old and pregnant for the first time and still think of our parents as the adults and we're the child. You're about to become the adult in your own life. And if you're having a baby, you're going to step into that role and start now with the birth if you haven't started already because who else is going to speak to that pediatrician directly? Um, in defense of your child if you disagree with something. Who else is going to call that school principal to address something happening at school or um, in your child's community? You are that person now. And you must trust your own decisions. So this is the time to start. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Down to birth and canines. <laughs> gotta cool. rena- we got to rename this. Down to birth, woof. <laughs> <laughs>